guys, we've got a real important lesson here this morning. The first thing I want to tell you is that a couple of our fellow students did what I had asked, and that is that if you, if you have questions uh, and you really have something serious you want me to look into and be able to talk about it on Sunday morning, uh, send me an email. Send it as early in the week as you can. And uh, give me some time to research and do some work. I got two of those this week, mate. Uh, hopefully you won't mind that I read your email. Uh, and and uh, I'm going to get to them in a little while. Because what I think is important first is I looked them over very carefully. And I want to be able to cover at least this first page on the lesson. And that will pretty much work us into the questions that were sent to me having to do with angels. And so we're going to have a pass out for you a little later on. And we're going to spend some time talking about angels this morning. We'll get to the questions. Both of them had similar questions. But let's, uh, let's open with prayer first. God, we're grateful for Sunday morning. God, I, I appreciate the things that you allow us to know. God, thank you that we can know that you are omnipresent, that you are here with us, and that you know all things. And God, that's a comfort because we need you to know the needs that are here. We need to express them, but God, times against us this morning. So I pray, Lord, that you just know every need that's here. You minister to them, Lord, we lift them up to you. Ask for healing where it's needed and the touch where it's needed. God, we love them and we know that you love them more. So meet these needs, I pray. God, uh, meet the need of our being and my being in need of you to teach. Lord God, I pray that you help me hide and you do the work. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Satan. Now sin came into the world. One the, the big word here is Satan. We're going to get pretty well acquainted with him, but one of the first things that I want to point out for you or ask it as a question is to try to keep in mind that the goal of this course is twofold. Number one, for us to get better acquainted with God, really learn who God is. We're going to learn something about God this morning, even though it's kind of back behind the pages because... <coughs> Satan's taking the forefront here a little. But we'll find out something about God. But what I want you to see is yourself. As we talk about Satan, and we talk about his fall, and we talk about the things that he does, and who he is, see that you're not far removed. We're all under his influence. And the reason that that's important is because the better acquainted you are with yourself, and as you get better acquainted with him, good morning, Rachel. Good morning. The less likely he is to trip you up in life. You'll be more aware of his cunning and his lies and the way he comes at you. So I may point something out here and there through the lesson this morning, but if you will, kind of keep an eye out for where you are in this. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that before the creation of Adam and Eve, there was in God's universe a being who had rebelled against God, his creator. This being is called Satan or the devil. Satan is not just an influence for evil, neither is he a red demon with a pitchfork, as he is often pictured. He is a very real being. There are two passages in the Bible which tell us of the original position of Satan and how he became the enemy of God. Let's turn there, if you will, Isaiah 14, and then we'll turn to Ezekiel 28. It's kind of strange in that uh, there, isn't, there isn't a lot more said about what's going on here than in these two chapters. Um, Throughout Scripture, uh, Satan is alluded to, uh, but very little is specifically said other than here. And in both of these passages, uh, 
part of the passage is uh, pointed at someone, uh, the king of Tyre is specifically pointed out. But in here, as this, as the uh, prophet wrote, God gave him message concerning this problem that we have. So, Isaiah 14, I'm going to start in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, here's where we want to try to get to. <clears throat> I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yes, yet you shall be brought down to hell to the lowest depths of the pit. The big thing that I want to kind of point out here is we're, we're, we're really talking now about a being created by God and he's got the big eye syndrome. We do too. You know, if you really take a good look at yourself, the most important person to yourself is so, this guy had a big problem. When he's saying that I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, he's really saying this. We'll get to a lot of this later. You'll often see me draw this crazy looking chair, but I'm, I draw that to indicate a throne. A throne, a king sits on a throne you know, kings don't always sit on the throne. They go to bed too and get up and go to the dining room and eat and so forth. They're not always on that throne to play golf or whatever they did in, in these days. But when they come and occupy the throne, they're there for a reason. Most of what they're there for is to make judgment. They're judging their people. It's a place where decisions are made. And we have a God who pictures himself to us as sitting on a throne, but now his decisions made from that throne are based on who he is, based on love, kindness, gentleness, mercy, and so forth. But we know that God on the throne is a good thing for us. <coughs> but what rules the throne most of the time is self. And we're going to see that we kind of copy old Lucifer. Okay, who's on the throne of his heart? Who's ruling things in his life? Listen to what he says. I'm going to put myself above God. What he's saying is I'm going to be my own God. Ever known anybody that's their own God? Until we got saved, all of us were and still have a problem with it. So, uh, I need to erase that. So we, we get a glimpse of the fact that, that this Lucifer, although he's created as an angel, he's either got some of the same problems we got, or we got some of the same problems he's got. Turn to, uh, to uh, Ezekiel, just to your right a little way. Get over into Ezekiel and we'll go to chapter 28. He's past Jeremiah. No, he's, I'm sorry. Ezekiel. No, he's good at me. Find Ezekiel. There he is. No, about a quarter to a half an inch away. <laughs> to your right. <laughs> and we come to Ezekiel. 
Romans chapter 28. If you start in verse 1 here, you see that the, that the prophet Ezekiel uh, is talking about the prince of Tyre, but it, it immediately almost switches gears, and it's a picture of Lucifer, and it talks about Lucifer. So we're going to start there in verse 2. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up, and you say, I am a God, and I sit on the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Now here's where he's talking to the king of Tyre. But you are a man, not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of God. And he goes on talking to Tyre. Um, verse 6b, he's talking about because you have set your heart as the heart of a God. And then get on down to verse 14. Here's where he's specifically talking about Lucifer. We know that from the opening sentence in, in verse 14. It says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. A cherub is an angel. The cherubim, we see the cherubim pictured uh, at the Ark of the Covenant where they're, they're pictured as, or they're replicated with two golden statues that come up and cover the Ark of the Covenant, cover the mercy seat. They're called cherubim. Uh, here we have, we're talking down to the cherub. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Drop down to 17. <clears throat> your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And then it talks about God casting them down to the ground. That's very little in Scripture to be being said about Lucifer. And yet it's enough because, praise God, as you study God and you study his scriptures and you really get to know what's going on here and, and other um, prophets and, and our people that wrote the New Testament and so forth make reference enough that we can kind of figure out a whole lot more of what's being said here and what's going on. Number one, it said there, since I created you, so angels are created beings. That's the first thing we need to try to grasp. They are not eternal. They were not here before God. Uh, God created them. <clears throat> uh, they've got the scripture references at the back of the lesson there. We're going to be adding some to it in a minute. Um, there are both good and evil angels. They are of a great multitude. They constitute a company as distinguished from a race. They are of various ranks and endowments. This next sentence I'll need to explain. I'll come back to it. They were all created holy. Some preserved their integrity. Some fell from innocence. The good are confirmed in good, and the evil are confirmed in evil. So I need to stop there and talk about that a little bit. This is where... Most questions come in about angels. How, what's going on here? How much can be said? There's a statement there in the center there, that's a little center statement that says they were all created holy. <clears throat> There's no scripture. You'll find as you, if you study commentaries, if you listen to preachers on TV, Wherever you get your good biblical knowledge, and as you read the Bible, you will often hear angels referred to as holy. And they are. There's many places in the New Testament, especially Paul and John, refer to the holy angels. Okay? Uh, but there is, I'm just pointing out the fact that there is no specific scripture 
that says they were created holy. So how do we know that they were? We do know that they were created holy, and here's why. Because God created them. And we stop and think about it. God did not make anything that was not perfect. And this is the part where we want to see that we're learning something here about God. God created everything that was created, and everything that was created was created perfect. There's no imperfection in God's creation as he created it. So he created these beings that we refer to as angels, and he created them perfect. Therefore, they would have been entitled to the term holy. You and I are Adam and Eve, at least. We, we make a separation there because of a distinction, but Adam and Eve were created holy. They were perfect. They had no flaws. They had not yet fallen. And understand that the, reason, the way that there became now a separation between the holy and the unholy is because of the fall of Adam and Eve, which we're going to be getting more and more into. But as they were created by the hand of God, they were created perfect and therefore holy. The same thing as with these angels. The other thing we need to see is, is that uh, God, when creating beings, wants them to be volitional. Even with the animal kingdom, we talk about them having instincts. But they can choose to follow or not follow their instincts. They also make choices. You ever come up on a deer and he's standing there looking at you and you stop and you're giving him the choice to get out of the way or stay where he is and get bumped. They make choices. All of God's living creatures make choices. Same is true with these angels. <clears throat> Let's see if I can get some down here. Um, drop down a couple of paragraphs where it says, but the Bible describes Lucifer in this manner. Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. In beauty, Ezekiel 28:12. Since he was perfect in beauty, he was as beautiful as any creature could be. Since he was full of wisdom, he was wise as any creature could be. But this perfection came to an end when he began to recognize him. Remember what he said about his beauty? Oh, and all lifted up because of his beauty. Uh, lifted up also because of his wisdom and, and so forth. And he begins to think that, boy, I'm better than God. I make my own decisions. There's where his sin comes in. This is where Lucifer now becomes Satan. Um, <clears throat> We want to get to this next paragraph down there. It says, the evils oppose, the evil angels oppose God and strive to feed. I guess I'm jumping a little ahead here. I'm not sure just which scripture I'm passing over. But when, when Lucifer lifted himself up and declared himself to be God, when Lucifer uh, put his throne above the throne of God and says, he basically said, and we want to catch this, he basically said to God, don't tell me what to do. Catch that. He did not want God telling him what to do. That's the reason he wanted to be higher than God. That's why he wanted to be God in his own life. He didn't want to be told what to do. For this, we see that God kicked him out of heaven. In another place, and I'm not reading it, I didn't make myself note of it, um, it talks about that, that when Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, he took a third of the population of angels with him. Now, one of the questions that was asked, or part of one of the questions that was asked of me is then, um, how, how do they get saved? And the point is, no, they don't. They don't. They, they how can I put this? They weren't influenced by Satan. They, um, they made decisions on their own to leave the realm of God. 
They made the decision to go with Lucifer. Now, according to Scripture, they're, they're confirmed in that. The evil angels are confirmed evil. They'll be there forever. They'll, we'll get to some Scriptures on that in a little bit when I get into this further study about angels. Right now, I'm wanting to get back and talk about Lucifer. But they're confirmed as evil angels. There's no salvation for them. Uh, we've got several scriptures, especially in Peter, where it talks about that they're being reserved and the place is being reserved for them. Uh, they'll be kicked into the lake of fire along with Lucifer, Satan. Um, they are confirmed in evil. They will never be good. They will never change. They have left their domain. The other angels that stayed are still the angels we refer to as angels are what the Bible refers to as holy angels. And they are confirmed in good. And I just have to leave that hanging for a minute because we're going to get to some scriptures in a little while that, that pertain to that. <clears throat> Back in that, on the, on the page there where it says the Bible describes Lucifer in this manner, um, since he was full of wisdom and he was as wise as any creature could be, but his perfection came to an end when he began to recognize, and here's a key word for us, when pride set in. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created until iniquity was found in these, in the Ezekiel 28:15. So where did sin begin? And this is where we want to go. It began in Lucifer's heart. Verse 17 says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of brightness. And here's the big eye you see over there on the left side of your page and all of the things that Lucifer said in his heart. And it was all about I. What was Lucifer's sin? Pride. He simply fell in love with himself. I want to pause at that word himself. I want you to take a look at something. Because that's a compound word, we tend to, to not recognize the application here. Him says, his self, myself, what we need to be able to do in our mind and in our heart is separate these words. What began to occupy the throne and Lucifer's heart was self. He became selfish. He became self-centered. It was all about self. I ask you in the beginning to think about yourself as we get into this lesson. Recognize, guys, that we're not real far removed from this. And, and the thing that we want to be able to learn from what happened to Lucifer, who became Satan, is that when self takes the throne, when we allow self, to become the most important thing in our life, what's going to happen? Downfall. You, you're, you're headed for a fall if the most important thing to you in your life is self. If you're totally self-protective and self-centered and your whole life revolves around self, <clears throat> So one of the reasons why, especially the Apostle Paul talks a lot about, using my own words, now he puts it in different ways, but dying to self. The old man, he says, <clears throat> put to death the old man. We need to become something other than self-centered. When we study the scriptures and we learn about one anothering, sometimes look and just start seeing how many times you see the word one another in the New Testament. I can tell you that in the epistles alone, the word one another is used 58 times. Come on in. Uh, somebody stood peeking at the door. I think they want in. Oh, 
<laughs> Did you want it? <laughs> okay. I'm glad she doesn't want in. Lovely lady, but <laughs> don't think we need that right now. I might give a shot because I think that's my son. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we see that Lucifer's sin was pride, and then he simply fell in love with himself. And here's another um, word that I want us to kind of grab here. It says there in your text that he said his will above the will of God. And what did Jesus teach us? Sermon on the Mount. Not my will, but thy will be done. He, we, when we come to knowing God and we come to studying Jesus, when we see that God became a man and dwelt among us, one of the main things that he's teaching us is to set our will in alignment with the will of God. Lucifer here set his will against the will of God. <clears throat> this turns us into another little study here that we'll, you'll, be, you'll begin to see more and more and more of this as we progress through this course. Uh, let me get some more room here. Um, but you're going to see two things at work here. We're already talking about self-will as opposed to God's will and self on the throne as opposed to God being on the throne. <clears throat> I'm not going to read all that, but I'll, I'll simply jump into a thing that's, that's here, and, and that is that... Uh, because of his self-love and his rebellion and his setting his will against the God, God, that he has developed a spirit of rebellion. Okay? We'll begin to put some more words to that in a little bit. I mean, I guess I could have wrote up here that there's not... I need to go back to school. <laughs> There's now two kingdoms in the world. Because when Lucifer fell, it's important for us to note the fact that he took these angels with him. So he has set up, he has now set up a dominion. He's now set up a, a list of followers. And then we'll learn more in next week's lesson about how he went to Adam and Eve. And in essence then, because he passed his spirit, his spirit of rebellion, his spirit of disobedience, he passed these things on to the offspring of Adam and Eve and to Adam and Eve. Okay. Let me make sure that I've uh, covered everything here that I really want to. All right, let's turn the page. Lesson three, page two. Satan's kingdom, opening statement there, Satan's kingdom is the kingdom of darkness. There you are. Good morning. A little bit late. It's all right. Well, we get you marked down here. All right. Oh, Brandy had already told me you were going to be here, so I got you marked. We're on, we're on page two, lesson okay. three. All right, I'm not going to be able to write all of these down, but it's in that first paragraph you see about halfway down that Satan's is the kingdom of hate, lies, and wickedness. God's is the kingdom of love, truth, and righteousness. Next statement, really important, guys. Between these two kingdoms, there is constant warfare. God is the almighty God. And he will not permit this rebellion against him to go on forever. One day, and this is good news, 
one day Satan, his fallen angels, and all those people who have followed him will be cast into the lake of fire where they will be punished forever and ever. But right now, God is giving people the opportunity to choose whom they will follow, God or Satan. Count this as a blessing, guys. The angels don't have that opportunity. They're confirmed in their evil if they fell with Lucifer. They're confirmed there. There's no way out for them. You reckon they might be angry about that? If they are, who you think they're going to take it out on? God's demons are at work everywhere. We call a liquor a demon in a bottle. If you've never witnessed that, I can certainly share with you that, that I have. My father, who I, I grew up so mixed up about my dad because I loved him so much. And he didn't drink all the time. But when he did drink, it didn't take but just one drink, and he was, it was over. He would drink it all until he didn't have anything to get his hands on. And he'd get drunk, and when he got drunk, he was mean. Some described him as mean as a snake. Demon in a bottle. Satan and his demons, and let's give them that name. They're not just fallen angels, they're demons. They hate you. I'm dealing with a young man, I've mentioned him in here before, I'm dealing with a young man who's whole life is surrounded on purpose he wants darkness he, he dresses up like the devil and does all kinds of weird stuff and um, I'm not giving up on him but boy there's times when I about do because I've not been able to lead him to the light and I've been working with him three or four months demons are real they are alive they are beings. They hate you. One of the reasons I believe, this is not scriptural, I'm speaking, but one of the reasons why I believe demons hate you is because you have the opportunity to choose whom you will follow and therefore you won't be following them into the lake of fire if you choose Jesus Christ as your Savior and what he did on that cross as for you. They do not have that opportunity. They hate you. They hate you. <clears throat> Constant wherefore, warfare, sorry. The rebellion of man. Let's get to it. Or how sin entered the world. In last week's lessons, we learned that Adam was created in the image of God. As he came forth from the hand of his creator, Adam was sinless. His nature was pure, however it was possible for Adam to sin because he had a free will. Volition. God made him that way. We've talked about how can love be love if it doesn't, if it isn't, or doesn't have the opportunity to be a choice. <clears throat> we learned that God also made women. <laughs> a lot of places to laugh and have fun with that, but let me tell you guys, one of the best things that ever happened for us is the fact that God made women and left, left, left our own devices. I think we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Eve was deceived, bless her heart, but Adam wasn't. Adam knew what he was doing, and that rascal did it on purpose. He did what he did because he chose to. Number one down there in that long paragraph, uh, God wanted the man and woman to remain innocent. We need to look at this. To know good from evil would make them responsible to choose good and to do good. Innocent also speaks of purity of heart, which to say the least would have a very positive effect on their relationship with God. In order for God to allow man to be truly volitional, he had to provide a real and viable choice. God wants and wanted man to rely on him, to guide him between right and wrong, to turn to his creator and say, is this okay? Would have been the proper logical and intelligent choice for Adam when he was confronted with the opportunity to sin. Here comes Satan. <clears throat> Statement there, misery loves company. Satan had lifted his heart up 
rebelled against God. He's not satisfied that he has a third of the angels come with him. Now he's after God's lovely creation, the human being. Enter Satan. He entices man to have the same heart toward God and to commit, in essence, the same sin. Remember that on the previous page we said that Satan means adversary. We didn't. I didn't get to that, but we need to get to it now. Adversary. Another word for adversary is, can anybody help me? Enemy. Enemy. Another word for adversary is enemy. Satan sets himself up as the enemy of God, but he's not only the enemy of God, he's the enemy of who? Me and you. He's, he's, he's the adversary, primarily to God, secondarily to man. And the term uh, devil, I'm sorry, the word term devil signifies slanderer, tells lies of God to men and of men to God. Let's look at that a minute. What did he do? What did he basically do with Eve? He's, he's basically slandering God when he says, oh, did he really tell you that? He's talking to Eve and saying, really? He's trying to make Eve think that um, God has shortchanged her. That he hadn't given her all the good stuff. That's what he'll got you, and that's where he'll trap me and you. He'll try to get us to say, well, you know, God hasn't given you that, whatever that may be. And in essence, he's slandering God and making you believe, trying to make you believe, that God has shortchanged you. Well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't be letting me go through this. <coughs> I wouldn't have suffered this great loss. Uh, this wouldn't have happened. I would have this, or I would have that. Realize and recognize that those thoughts come from the enemy, the slanderer of God, and then the reverse of this is also true. He's going to tell God every lie about you that he can. And we know that he does that because we see him before God in the book of Job coming and talking to God about Job. God is saying, my servant Jacob, I mean my servant Job is a good man. And, uh, and Satan's saying, well, he's, he's only good because you take such good care of him, etc. Satan is a liar and he's a slanderer of God to me and you and he's a slanderer of me and you to God. He's an enemy of God and he's an enemy of us. <laughs> There's just no goodness in him. Before I complete this and try to spend a few more, the last few minutes on these questions that were asked of me, Get down there to the last little part there uh, that we're you know, it's about a inch or two up from the bottom of the page. It says it's important for us to pause here and make sure we understand just what Adam's sin was. It wasn't just eating the fruit, although that was certainly a part of it. And it wasn't just believing the lie and the liar against the word of God, although that was part of it too. The sin finds its roots in the sin of Lucifer, which was, don't tell me what to do. And it was this decision that is pure rebellion against God, and it is that which causes the separation between God and man. We all often talk about the fact that and that we're separated from God. Sin has brought in separation from God. But understand that, that it wasn't God that caused this separation. And, and to just say that it was sin that caused the separation is a little too generic. We need to get it down a little further. It comes down to an attitude. It's an attitude that says, don't tell me what to do. That separates man from God. Man wants to be his own God. 
He wants to go his own way. You don't want God telling him what to do. You don't want to listen to that. He wants to be his own God, self on the throne. That's where the sin lies. That's the sin that separates us from God. The sin of rebellion. There's some other words that I should have put up there. Let me, let me put up some here. Uh, rebellion, and that is, uh, I guess obedience is the best thing. We're darkness, we're not, we're in light, we're not in darkness. All of these things become opposites in the two kingdoms. And I guess that that's a really important thing for us to grasp too, is that there are these two kingdoms at work in the world. Which one will we be in? Which one will we belong to? All right, I'm gonna, uh, would, would you do me a favor? Here, I'm going to get you two guys to do some passing out for me. Uh, I've got these, there's three pages, and I've got them going in different directions. I'll give one section of three pages to each person, you can start by the next there. I received, like I said, two emails this week. I want to read you the emails that I received, and I guess I've got your permission made to do that. I'd ask uh, uh, Robin earlier. I want to read to you the email that I got from May. She said, something just, just something that came up I've never given much thought to before. Are angels without sin? I suppose I've always thought of them as perfect and always doing the right thing. But then that means that they did not need Jesus as their Savior, but yet God is their Lord, and it seems they have free will as we do, and yet those who love the Lord choose not to sin ever. And yet God is far holier, glorious, perfect than they, which means holiness must mean more than just being without sin. Lots of thoughts here, and she concludes. All right, so I'm going to address these things, huh? First of all, uh, you had said that our angels without sin. Uh, you don't have to turn there if you want to, but I'm going to go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and goes on and talks about he didn't spare the ancient world before the flood and so forth. Answer to your question right there. Do angels sin? Yeah. Peter even says so. The angels that sin are reserved being reserved for the lake of Elphine. Angels did sin. The ones that sinned are confirmed in their sin. They'll continue to sin. They have nothing but sin. But the ones that chose to stay with God now are confirmed good, but that were led to believe by everything that we read. There's no scripture now that says exactly what I'm going to say. And that is that their choice to follow God has been made. I, I really believe from all that we read in Scripture that that is confirmed well enough that we can know that they're not ever going to change their mind about that. In the first place, there's nothing to tempt them. So they're not being tempted in any way to change their mind and not continue to follow God. So the angels that are confirmed in goodness, the ones that we can actually really call angels or the holy angels, will not sin. Although it very well leads us to believe that they do have volition. They are able to make choices. <clears throat> the next thing which you said down there, which you said uh, that which means holiness must mean more than just being without sin, 
there's a difference here that I really need to point out. And that is the difference between being actually holy and being acclaimed holy or uh, having, the Bible says, imputed and put on us. Um, you see, we, we are now called, you and I, believers in Christ, we are called holy. But when you read the scripture, you find out that the way that that came about is that when Jesus died for you and me, God put upon you and me his righteousness. In essence, Jesus gave it to us. The Bible talks about that, that his righteousness is imputed to us so that we are now considered to be holy, but it's an imputed holiness. All right? So there's a difference between being actually holy and being declared holy. Truth is, could ask anyone, is there any one of you that ever that think you're actually holy? No, we all know better, but we also know that we need to be able to stand up tall and proud because we've been declared holy by Almighty God. And a term that I like to use is if you become a child of a king, you have an obligation to act like it. See? So we need to be able to live out this holiness but we know that we are not actually holy, but that we are declared to be holy. So your question is, holiness must mean more than just being without sin. Um, it just depends on whether this holiness is actual or imputed. That's the only way I know of to try to answer that question. The next question came to me from Robin. She says, I was studying this week's lesson and began to wonder if angels were created holy, how did Satan rebel against God? Were they given free will as we were? And then she talked about a website that she goes to, and I went to that website. And as a matter of fact, what you discovered at that website is what I have printed out for you, but I've given it to you kind of upside down, and I knew that it did. Um, the third page back, of the three pages that I gave you, if you look down at the bottom of that page, you'll say, by Got Questions Ministries. Um, I went there um, and, and looked at what they had to say. Very good stuff. Very, very good stuff. And a lot of it's what we've already gone over here, and I don't really have time to get any of it, but I uh, will point out to you that in that fir first paragraph, toward the end of it, it says, that they exercise will. In other words, yes, they do have free will. Um, another interesting statement I thought was that near the bottom of the second paragraph, it says, unlike humans, angels do not have to study the past. They have experienced it. <laughs> they know how we're going to react before we react. <coughs> they've had the experience because they've been there since the beginning. They haven't died. They don't come and go. That the demon that you're dealing with today may be very well the same demon that dealt with Moses. Right? They haven't aged. They're still on the job. So they don't have to read history books to learn anything. Down at the end of the page, it says, near the end, it says, the Bible nowhere states that angels are created in the image and likeness of God as humans are. That's a really important thing for us to grab. Um, the fact that, that we are created in the image of God and they're not. Turn back now to, the, to the, that cover sheet that I gave you, the free will of angels. I'm going to have to go through this as quick as I can. <clears throat> and, and of course, I'm giving it to you so you can read it. And you wouldn't have much time. Uh, in the opening sentences there, the heavenly angels gladly and completely do the bidding of God, Psalm 103, 20 to 21, states, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearken unto the voice of his word. Blessed ye, bless ye the Lord, ye, all ye hosts, he minister, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. 
So there we see them confirmed in goodness. They're, they're, the, they're the good angels. Toward the end of the second paragraph, it says, and the angels, y'all's there in quotations, and the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness <clears throat> unto the judgment of the great day, Jude 1, 6. I will confess to you that I'm not real clear about what Jude meant there about uh, them being reserved and changed because uh, while there may be a lot of them that are, there's a lot that aren't. They're certainly running around all over the place. And so I think that the, that the term is uh, indicative of future. Uh, they're they're going to wind up and change, but I don't believe they're there yet, or at least certainly not. Certainly not all of them there are. Uh, the fallen angels are simply the angels that sin. It refers again there to Second Peter. Um, what else do I want to point out? Um, at the bottom paragraph of that page, the angels do not have a sin nature. We have one because our descent, because of our descent from Adam. All angels have been directly created by God, and must have been created with a holy nature. Therefore, they never have a mix of good and bad, which is often found in men. However, they were created with the ability and responsibility of self-determination. They can choose to leave the estate of heaven by an act of will, or they can choose to stay with God. Those who leave do so in order to be gods. Satan is the god of this world. Satan's motivation is further revealed in his temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, you shall be as God. Uh, I'll leave you to read all of that. Hopefully it's enough for you. It's time for us to close. But I, uh, I just want to say that I, I, I hope you gain from this. And if you didn't get all of it, please reread or read it. Hopefully you've read the, the lesson. Simply the fact that the sin Sin has its roots in don't tell me what to do. Sin has its root in not a lot. You see, if we have this attitude of don't tell me what to do, then what that does is that leaves God no room to be the God in your life. God can only be the God in your life when you give him room to be. That's why we call it surrendering our heart to God. That's why we call it uh, re repent, which simply means turn. We make this turn from saying to God, don't tell me what to do. We make the turn to an attitude, and that's an important word, to an attitude that says, be the God of my life. Show me what to do. Lead me. Teach me. Be my God. And as long as that rebellious attitude is sitting on the throne, protecting self, there's no place for God. You've pushed him out of the way. 